This episode is brought to you by HP Australia and their Instant Ink subscription. Everything I do, anything, it's because I truly believe. If I have to do things because I'm told to, but I don't believe them, I become very average. I don't react to just one information because one is an incident. Two is coincidence, three is a pattern. I was getting to my coach and say, stop telling me what I need to improve. I spent all my life trying to do that. I reach my limit now. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. Lovely neighborhood. I am so excited about this week's episode. You've probably seen snippets here and there of our recording and filming day for this one, but our full chat is finally ready for your ears. As you've heard me say many times, the thing I love the most about CZA and the random collection of things that I get to call a job is the people that I'm lucky enough to meet. And one I'm still absolutely pinching myself about is today's incredible guest, Rodrigo Pizarro, the CEO of L'Oreal Australia and New Zealand. Way back in the lawyer days, if you'd asked me what my ultimate dream job would be, I genuinely used to say, and I have many people who can attest to this, I would always say that I'd love to go in-house one day, like far into the future, but one day I'd love to work somewhere amazing and dynamic like L'Oreal. In true CZA form, nearly 10 years later, I did actually end up getting to spend time at L'Oreal HQ and to work with this amazing business across many different projects, but just not quite in the way I'd originally expected. And I never dreamed I would get to whisk the CEO himself away for a whole day to share a day in his life with the neighborhood. And yet here we are sitting down with one of the most interesting people I've ever chatted to who is in so many different ways the opposite of what you might expect of a high-flying corporate running a traditional heritage brand. The first time I met Rodrigo, I was actually seated next to him at an event and was so nervous about it, but we ended up gas bagging about our travels and our favorite languages for hours like old friends. From his life of working around the world to his his passion for motorcycling, and then his baller tattoos to his refusal to wear ties to the office, Rodrigo pushes the boundaries in the best kinds of ways and continues to lead some incredible innovations and new directions for L'Oreal Australia and New Zealand that you will hear all about. One of which you might actually remember was the For Women in Science program that we produced a podcast for a couple of years ago that is still one of my favourite projects on CZA to date. You can watch the Day in the Life video on socials, which we had so much fun making, but I also hope you enjoy getting into the nitty-gritty of what a CEO actually does, the roller coaster of a journey to get from a product sales position all the way up the ladder, parenting, traveling, and everything in between. A huge thank you also to his right-hand woman, Kelly Paul Armitage, for making it all happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Rodrigo Pizarro. Rodrigo, bienvenue à Cis the A. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Bienvenido, is that? Bem-vindo. Oh, what is it? Bem-vindo. Bem-vindo. 
Bem-vindo. Close. Obrigado. Yeah, that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we swap let's between stay, languages. Let's stay there then. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to CZA. It is so lovely to have you here. We've actually been filming and following you for the day. So that's been really fun. Thank you very much for inviting me. And it's been a pleasure. I think it was really fun this morning. Yeah, I had so much fun. And we got to see a snippet of a day in your life. But I'm really thrilled to have you here to get a bit more into the, the juice of how you got here and the incredible story that you have that have led you to this point. But first, I love to break the ice by asking what the most down-to-earth thing is about you. And that's because the title itself, CEO of L'Oreal Australia and New Zealand, is quite intimidating. It's very fancy. Tell us something really normal about you. I think you'll be surprised how human and approachable I am. And I think that's going to be something in terms of leadership, in terms of being a CEO that you learn over the years. Mm. I was not always like that at all, but I think that would be the most down-to-earth thing that you'll see today. Anybody at any level of the company, from MT to a director, can approach me at any point of time, talk to me, invite me for a coffee, have a meeting with me. And I think it's just because of the way that you are in life and think that's something mm. that uh, took me some time, but that would be certainly the one. I think following you around the office, you can definitely see that. Everyone's quite casual with you. It's really relaxed. You don't get the sense that, oh, my God, the CEO has just arrived. It's like, hey, Rods. And you would not believe how important it is because that's what determines what the culture of the company is as well. Mm. If that's how I act, that conveys to the rest of the teams and therefore you've got this culture which is very inclusive but also very relaxed in a way. And mm. I think it's so important today because, I mean, we wake up already with a lot of stress can we find a way to go through the day with a bit of fun and take a bit of the stress out? So if I can do that by myself and impacting people that way, I'll be already very satisfied. I also don't think many people expect the CEO to arrive on a motorbike in leathers and to park his bike where there is no park, <laughs> just abandon it at the front of the building. Like, this will do. <laughs> I do that. I might tease a little bit, uh, in particular the landlords, when I told that I was going to park uh, in, <laughs> right in front of it. But it's just because there is a gate outside and it is really not work with the motorbikes. So I told him if, if it doesn't work, I need to do something about yeah, it. So I'll I'm, just park in, in You're agile, your solution space. right in front of it. <laughs> and I've got a bet with them that I said one day I'm going to take my motorbike and park it right in my office. So I'll take it in the lift <laughs> and I'll take a picture of it in my office and send to the landlord. Well, we already asked you if the bike fits in the lift and you said I'm yes in a sure way that makes me think you've already taken it in No, there. but I've taken the measures. <laughs> so I'm, I'm halfway there. <laughs> well, we'll definitely get into more of you know what we saw today about even the way that you dress in the office and how you approach things is so refreshing and I think quite surprising because most people don't get to shadow you for a day. But I would love to start with your way TA. And that pretty much means tracing back from your childhood and your first dreams of what you've become and really following through all the dots that needed to connect for you to end up here today. Because I think if we meet you now, it's really easy to assume he was born a CEO. You knew that you'd end up at, you know, in a C-suite position. But I think really a lot of things have to converge in life to get you to where you are. And it's often quite surprising. So can you take us back to your childhood? Talk us through, you know, what your first jobs were, what you thought you would be, your big dreams and, and what you were like as a kid. I can certainly do that. Do you have two hours? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take you a while. You and I are bad at short answers. <laughs> we should have put aside like a day for I this. Know. <laughs> but I'll take you through that because I think it is uh, by knowing uh, all of that that you understand who I am. Mm. And in fact, uh, I'm Portuguese, but I was born in Africa, in Angola, which at the time was a colony for Portugal and uh, my parents were there. My father was in the army, my mother was uh, 
working in a company which was run by a father and they met there because my father after the army went to work in that company and i don't have any recollection any memories of my first eight years of my life eight. and the reason being that uh, at eight years old i had to leave hiding underneath in the bottom of the car because there was a civil war going on at the time you know it was a time of independence for angola and there's a civil war so i had to escape the country with my mom and my sister and we really literally hiding in the car and definitely that caused the trauma for me and so i've got no recollection today of those eight years i can only tell you i in my mind i have exactly how the inside of my house was once i step one side i open that door i can't figure out anything else school <gasps> nothing no school? memories nothing zero memories except the floor plan of my house that's wow. the only memory i have from those first eight years and you know all those things impact your life one way or the other so then i did my youth my teenagers and my uh, all my education in portugal where i was until i was uh, 28 so i started in uh, l'oreal in portugal when i was uh, 25 26 and then uh, just later on i moved to uh, france to the headquarters of uh, l'oreal at the time uh, in 1997 it was pretty uh, tough because I didn't speak French at the time. I do now, but I didn't speak French at the time. You know, the headquarters were very Frenchy mm. and very Parisian. <laughs> very so it was Frenchy. very difficult to, uh, yeah. to, there was not diversity at the time. There was mm. no inclusion. So it was very difficult to be there. And even Paris was very difficult at, the, at that time as well. But then from there, I went to Latin America. I worked in Brazil. I worked in uh, Venezuela twice. I was in Hungary. I went back to Portugal. And the fact that today, including Australia, of course, I've lived in uh, six countries. I've worked in six countries, uh, four continents. That's what gives me all the insights. And that changes dramatically. Those opportunities of life, by knowing so many things culturally, really gives me a lot of insights. It gives mm -hmm. a lot of abilities for me to understand people and to work with people. And I think I could definitely not do my job today as I do it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't definitely not have that culture of inclusion, of diversity, of proximity in the company had I not had all that experience with, from a people point of view, mm -hmm. from a culture point of view gives me a lot more baggage that uh, luggage baggage and, yeah baggage <laughs> in terms of that's what i am yeah you know, that's really what i am it, it's really a skill set you cannot have that when you're just in one country i'm pretty sure of that yeah i think one of the things that i mean it's been an absolute privilege to be able to work closely with l'oreal australia and new zealand and to be you know to have spent any time with you let alone as much time as i've been able to spend with you and i think the very first thing when kelly who i have to give a big shout out to your right hand woman and who's in the room right now who is just such a a wonderful representative for the brand placed us next to each other at the for women in science which i definitely want to get into the for women in science dinner and being someone who's fascinated in pathways and travel and languages and cultures and people and what excites people and what helps get the best out of people and, and corporate culture and everything, you know, about storytelling. Remember, I just couldn't, I was like, oh, no, no more. Tell me where you were born. Tell me what happened. When did you go next? Like what language is your favorite? Which country is your favorite? And I think that already what you've told us, which is just skating the surface, is not what you would expect from the CEO of a company like L'Oreal. You know, you just wouldn't expect that you had fled civil war in your first eight years and have no memory. I think that's so fascinating. And it, it's not what gets the most airtime necessarily when you do interviews. So it's a privilege to hear this from no, you. No, it's definitely not what we talk about, but I've got plenty of other really deep 
experience and some of them not very nice experience mm. then again each one of them builds who you are mm. and so and i've learned so much about even some of those experience i was so lucky to survive some of those experience because mm. some of them were really hardcore mm. <laughs> but then uh, that builds who you are and that really helps you develop as a, as a person and throughout my career there's a lot of moments where i was working in organizations where people depending on me you know back in the day when i was in venezuela Venezuela is a dictatorship today although mm. they don't say it there were 300 people which depended on me to have a job yeah. so it was just not being a leader and doing business is that at the time it was very difficult for L'Oréal to keep that subsidiary open and just by doing that throughout three years and then preparing it structurally to be open even in the future i was guaranteeing jobs for those people so the connection that you build with those people it becomes way beyond professional because it's unavoidable mm. you know the recognition they have in terms of the efforts that you've put it becomes something very very personal so mm. i think of from all the countries i've been those are, are the days where i recall that people were really appreciating when i left they really appreciated what i did for them mm. as individuals more than just for the professionals and that is so powerful you know when you have people saying and writing things to you which are so strong about thanking you what you've done for them i mean that's nothing i mean there's never any other recognition of results or business results that can top that that's mm. what is really important in life and i think that's why you've just done so much in the roles that you have because your measurement for success isn't only a financial or a numbers game it's always people and impact and and legacy and having that kind of response in the people around you but before we get to that one of the things i want to ask is you seem so born to be a leader like the way you speak about harnessing people and the experiences you've had and why that allows you to do what you do now i think it's hard to imagine you in your 20s you know joining l'oreal for the first time as a product manager for hair care or hair color i think hair it color. was hair color and now seeing you speak like you understand every part of the chain and you know you were telling us in the office about the light that had been installed specifically so that you the colorist could tell the right color for natural light all of these kinds of things it's hard to imagine that you know all that stuff because you started at an entry level position so many years ago it's fresh out of what lisbon school of economics yeah. what at that point in your life did you think you wanted to be did you ever envision that you would get here what did you you know hope to get out of your life did you think you were going to be in product did you think you were going to be in people like i always wonder what were your like childlike dreams for yourself i never had really a dream to be in the position i have now i always had dreams and i always followed my dreams but my dreams were not 10 years down the road my dreams were 2 or 3 years down the road right. so i wanted to know what i was going to be next because i could see it and then i wanted to achieve it I did have a dream because my father did have some positions of leadership in terms of commercial you know uh, positions in organizations so I wanted to follow him somehow and I didn't have a super close relation with my father but I really in a way I wanted to be what he was so there was mm. a lot of things that uh, I got from him but I think it was just every time really wanted to be myself because I mean there's so many moments in my life that could have gone wrong that I wanted to be really powerfully just achieving what I wanted to achieve but I always thought in the next step never two steps ahead i think things have to be taken really precautions mm -hmm. and i think sometimes you need to know when you're ready for a next step and so although i dream maybe a bit down the road maybe sometimes when i started in a corporate life i dreamed of being the director when i was still far away from that maybe i have dreamed to be a ceo but it was just a dream you know the dream is the dream is down the track but you're just thinking how do i achieve that in the next couple of years mm. so but i always wanted to when i was uh, 
assistant product manager, then I wanted to be a project manager. And I thought now I can be good project managers because I was seeing who were doing it, what they were doing. And I said, I definitely can do that as well. And then I wanted to be a marketing director. And then from there, I wanted to be a manager director of the business unit. It was always very, very progressive when I found out that I know that I have the abilities and the skills to do that job. Yeah. Because otherwise the dream is just a dream, but you need to be sure, in a, particularly in a global corporation, that you can do it because you're still measured by success, by KPIs. Mm. So that was really this vision, the mix of the vision that I have, the vision coming from my father, a bit of dream, but very, very objective as well and knowing what can I achieve and how far can I, can I mm. go. So I think that's how I took it uh, every step until I got here. I hammer on about on this show about the idea that you do always have to have big dreams and vision boards and, you know, know eventually where you want to kind of end up, but that you don't have to climb the whole staircase. You just have to take the next step. And I love that, you know, we have these macro dreams, but really all that matters is the next step. Like I love that you went, okay, I've done this. I want to be manager of this department and then manager of the next department. You don't kind of get to CEO in one step. You have to take all the little steps along the way. And I love that you broke it down that way because I think we get really overwhelmed at the end game and think I'm never going to get there. And it's like you don't have to get there tomorrow. You just have to get here and then here and then here. It's like one step at a time is how most people build their careers. They don't get too overwhelmed by the 10-year plan. Often it's just focus on the two-year plan, and then there'll be another two-year plan and another two-year plan. You don't have to do it all at once. And down through that path, for whatever you want to do, being happy. I have so many people today that ask me what is really important. I say, I mean, I don't know if getting to where I am is really what you want to do. Provided that you're happy, yes. But if you're happy at doing something else, and that's where you should be. Because that's so important. Too often we get to jobs and we are not happy in doing them. We see so many people doing jobs and not happy about that. So that's when I got to Australia. I mean, I incorporated one of the values was fun because you need to be happy what you're doing. You need to have fun whatever you're doing, even if it is a business. You can't do anything in life without that component. So I think it's really important that we keep that as well. So I was most of the time, not every time, mm. but most of the time I was happy. And whenever I was not happy, I was clear that I create. I had to create happiness in the job I was having, or I had to change, or I had to leave. But oh, I cannot I work that. without that happiness. So I was always pushy in terms of what I wanted in such a job, and I've always been a bit rebel, pushing boundaries. <laughs> yes, that's because Not surprising. I'm, but that's because I'm looking for my own happiness. Yeah, and my happiness is about achieving things, about changing things, about changing so many paradigms that there are there, so many status quo that you have to push, and that's what brings me happiness when I have the legacy. It's about that, about achieving a lot of things. And most of them, as I told you before, not related to results, which are financial KPIs. Mm. They are part of it, but they're more a consequence than the origin today. And that has changed dramatically throughout my 30 years of career in L'Oreal. Are you saying that you have to seize your yay? <laughs> it's, like, it's like the perfect soundbite for this entire show. We can end now. That was, yeah. That's all I needed from you. <laughs> it is, it is. But I think, you know, I think it's a journey and mm. I, I've taken that journey as an individual. I'm not sure that everybody gets there, yeah. but it impacts you very much. So today, what I'm doing in life and what I want from life, even in my job, is about impacting people and impacting people in a positive way because I have to realize that my role by itself, every time I talk to people, I'm impacting them. So I need yeah. to be conscious about what I'm doing that and how I'm doing that and therefore creating a positive impact in everybody I can. And the positive impact is more important for me today 
than any financial business results. Mm. But I still have to do them because if I don't have the financial business results, I will not have a job and therefore I cannot impact people. So of course I'm smart enough to understand that. But I've just changed the equation. Yeah, People first, impacting people in the business, beyond the business, my friends, everybody else. And then down the track, the results always coming when you do that focus. I thought that's really very important for me today. Mm. I want to ask, in each of those steps, you mentioned that you're often pushing the boundaries and you were pushy for what you wanted and you knew when you, you've obviously moved countries and jurisdictions and and gone really upwards in a chain within a huge corporation. And I think one of the really hard things for people who are on in an earlier part of their journey to you who maybe envision themselves being a CEO one day is putting yourself forward for things. There's a huge amount of fear about looking silly if you fail. There's imposter syndrome of am I good enough? Like you mentioned, you have to know that you're able to do the next step. There's, you know, burnout along the way. Were there any challenges for you? And I know I talk about this often with women on the show, but I'd be really interested to see from a male perspective, when you were applying for each new role or looking to make a big jump up the ladder, did you ever have feelings of, am I good enough for this? Was self-doubt ever a part of the equation? Was like the fear of rejection or the fear of, or, or actual rejection? Like, did that ever, how did that play out for you in taking all these steps to get here? Especially at the CEO level when you were going for that role. Well, I'm trying not to be arrogant with that. No, but, it's not arrogant. And, and uh, No, but by my answer saying, I've never feared of what I was going to do. Yeah. I was never afraid of it. And I never thought I could not do it. But there were moments in my life while being in the job where I had some doubts. There were some moments because sometimes people challenging you and you have some doubts. And I think if you don't have any doubts throughout your own life, career, whatever you do, then Mm. there's something wrong with you. There has to be moments of doubts. Most times I didn't think about it. I think it's just about courage as well. And courage is very funny because, I mean, I'm very courageous at what I do in my job. I'm very courageous, as you know, riding motorbikes very fast, but I, I hate roller coasters. I cannot stand them. <gasps> really? So courage and fear for each one of us are quite different in the ways that you approach it. And so sometimes it's going to be, you can be courageous in something and then you're going to be completely freaking out with something which you think, wow, how is it possible? Mm. But that's the truth because we all are different. So in my approach to business and to the new challenge I had, I was always very courageous. I mm. was always very courageous to speak out. I was always very courageous to believe in myself, believe in my intuition and knowing that I was doing it well. Mm. And then I always had the chance that, and the luck that effectively, whenever I did something which was quite different, the results were very good. Yeah, And that's very powerful because that's where you can prove that yes, it's you're doing the right thing. You know, yeah. you, there's no other way, they have to prove by that. Yeah. The proof of concept is really important. So each time you can become more sure about yourself and you get to the point where I, told you again this morning saying I've got this now ability of really balance between intuition and data driven I've built the organization to be extremely data driven but we're still a beautiful marketing company and a lot of it's come about intuition and where intuition becomes even more powerful is about people people you know you can interview as much as you want but you'll never find out about how people are so the best you can rely on is pure intuition mm. in getting the right people, people which have the same values as you, people have the values that you want in the organization. And by doing that, that's where success comes as well. And so it's just getting the right people, 
not just individual skin sets, but the ability to work as a group as well. And for that, you need generosity. For that, you, be, you need probably even selflessness mm. because you need completely to change the way you are in a world in business which is mainly selfish. So that journey is my personal journey as well. I'm sure that when I was young, I was a bit selfish. And then I know my first roles as leader were probably not the best. And I recognize that today. And I've always tried to learn and improve through everything I do in life, personally mm. and professional, because things just cross. And so now I'm trying to just to push this intuition-based, talent, people-based uh, view in the company and push it very forward. And I do it everything I do. And sometimes I annoy a lot of people by doing <laughs> that. And it's interesting because you annoy, because whenever you're trying to get out of your comfort zone and the status quo, you are pushing in one direction that most people cannot see. Yeah. So it is annoying for you because people are being challenged and now they sometimes they're very conservative or they don't believe in what you're doing. So every time you try to push status quo, you have to understand that you are envisioning something that probably nobody else is. I so love that. it's how how hard it is. You know, you want to sell something to someone, but they're still not ready to buy it. Mm. They can't understand it a lot of times. So you need to get on this journey of push and pull. You need to sell the dream to them. You need to sell your vision to them. Then you have to go back and bring them in the vision because sometimes they're not on board. Then you have to push forward again and they have to bring them. It's a complete different exercise that I've learned to do over the years to really try to develop an organization which is really extremely progressive mm. and we're pushing the boundaries all the time. But at the same time, getting all these people on board because we've got over a thousand people working with us today, all different individuals. It is really hard to get all them to really follow you. Some will do it initially, some will do it a bit later. It is an incredible journey. It's very, very difficult to have everybody on board with you. So this is abilities that you develop over the years and then change that the way that you, you operate. And I'm fortunate enough that today I think we operate quite well in that space. Mm, I think you do an incredible job of it. And I love the description of that push-pull idea because I think in everything that you do, whether it's in a really small scale in your immediate sphere of influence or whether it's as a CEO of a big company, it's it's always a balance between pushing people into a small amount of discomfort to try something new because you'll never progress without discomfort and pushback, but also not going so far that, you know, there are many people I've seen who are just ahead of their time and, and it's too far ahead. And it's that, always that fine balance of it's a heritage brand. You need to please the people who have been with you forever, but also keep with the times. And I don't envy the position of a CEO in doing that. But I also think another thing that I find really interesting is that because you don't experience self-doubt in the way that is quite common in, you know, a lot of people's common answer in big roles, particularly women, is I felt imposter syndrome, I felt self-doubt. And the absence of self-doubt is often interpreted as arrogance, whereas I don't think that you even needed to apologize for that. I think it's a quality that actually helps you in your role to be courageous and to take risks. And that's allowed you to then do with L'Oreal Australia and New Zealand things that no one else has been able to do. So, I mean, moving into the role you've got now, have you, is, is there anything that you're especially proud of that was really hard to get over the line? Like L'Oreal is so inclusive, so diverse, has so much, you know, pride paraphernalia in the office, like things that, you know, 10 years ago would have been not as welcome and not as kind of easy to do. What are the things you've done in your time that you're especially proud of? Well, I hope there's quite a few of them uh, because it's been a, quite a lot of years I've been in a company. But, you know, sometimes even certain things that you might not think about because you will assume that is always been the case in L'Oreal were not that easy. Today, we've got a majority of women in our management committee, executive committee, whatever we want to call it. 
there is nine women, five men. And you assume because we have a majority of women anyway, because 70% of our employees are women, that would be a must. But in fact, it was not until a few years back that we could achieve that. Mm. And I think uh, if I remember well, Australia was the first country in the world to achieve it probably five years ago, and now has been always the case. And you figure out how you really have to create all the conditions to do that. Because I'm not the person that's going to choose women just because I want to have that criteria met. Yeah. I need to create the conditions for really pure diversity and equality within the company. So it means that you have to work in terms of making sure that women who go in parental leave, they can come back and incorporate and don't lose time. You need to work in making sure that men do that job as well so that women can come back. You need to work to make sure that all promotions, trainings, everything is really equal, uh, that pay is equal. There's so many components of it to make sure that it happens. So once you achieve it, and then you achieve it, and year after year after year, you still have an incredible balance. Sometimes we'll have a few more women, sometimes a few more men. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. What we've now proven over the years is that the system works. There is really an equal opportunity for men and women, even, but if we go even beyond gender, for anybody from any origin, any culture, any orientation can reach the top of the company and we have them all today. I think that is one of the biggest legacies because it seems when you have reached it so easy mm. and yet it's so complex. It's so many years in the build to mm. get there. So I'm just focusing on one because I think that's one that you might just take as really as very obvious and a given yeah. and it's way far from that. And it's still not the case in a lot of aspects. Even to be fair, even our global board is still not at, the, at that level. So it is very complex. It takes a lot of years and it takes a huge amount of consistency. So I think I'll just focus on that one because it's really one that I'm extremely proud of. Mm. And last time we met uh, in For Women in Science, we're talking about it. And for me, it makes me proud in particular because having a, a, a little daughter, daughter I was 13 ask. years old, yeah. it makes a difference. I know how hard I saw it happening throughout my years in the business. So it is so important for me that the reality she's going to find is dramatically different from what I found the first time I joined the company. And regardless of company, because L'Oreal has always been really very good at it, but the world that she's going to experience, if I can do anything to make her world a bit more equal, then I'm sure going to try because I'm sure that she's got incredible skills. She's an amazing uh, young girl and I want to make sure that she has all the chances and there's going to be no barriers that she cannot overcome. And I think that's what she is now already. She's very, very strong. So I've got always that in mind. Mm. So I work for equality, not because it's a, a tick that I have to do in my business. Yeah. It's because I do really believe in it. And that makes a difference. Everything I do, anything, it's because I truly believe. When I believe in things, I'm extraordinary doing things. And apologies if I sound a bit arrogant, but I can be very good at doing things. If I have to do things because I'm told to, but I don't believe them, I become very average. Oh, really? That's, that's so interesting. That's, that's exactly the difference because right. I'm a passion person and I Very cannot Portuguese. be passionate. <laughs> you cannot have passion without belief. Yeah. And without those two, I'm no better than anybody else. Yeah. If I get told every time what to do, I will not be good at my job mm. and I'll not be any better than anybody else. So mm. I need this incredible freedom, which is a word that really represents everything for me. I need this freedom to operate in this risk zone in this challenging zone, in this progressive zone, when I'm trying things that nobody else is, I do take a lot of risks, but also because I don't know fear, 
but also because I've got no problem in admitting the error. Yeah, which, which I is think really is really important <laughs> because when you're talking about people, which their self-esteem is strong or not, and people can think they can do that, it's a lot of time people cannot assume that there is a mistake and what's going to happen. And I've got no problem. Mm. We have to do mistakes. We have to do some errors. You're going to learn from that. And I believe that, you know, you're going to do it and you're going to still improve. So mm. I'm not afraid of doing them and sometimes saying, yeah, got it wrong. Mm. That's it. And not overthinking about getting it wrong. Just move on. Yeah. Just move on. Yeah. How do you approach what you might perceive as a failure? I think there's really a choice to see it as you either win or you learn, but then there's a third option, which is that you, yeah, get overcome, that you you get consumed by the failure. And then a lot of people wallow in it and then can't move on from it. But are you very, let's I'm move I'm very quick through. to move yeah. on in most things, but it does not mean that just, just forget. Yeah. In certain moments where there was really an impact and I really got it wrong, I just take it on board so that I improve the next time. But I don't get it stuck in my mind. You know, I need to keep on moving. You know, that's how I operate all the time. Mm. I'm very fast in the way that I operate. So I'm always thinking of the next thing. And in fact, the more I get it wrong, the more I wanted to do it again to improve. And you use uh, it as a motivation. And to, Kelly would know this because I mean, uh, <laughs> one of the times that I did a podcast, I was really not satisfied with oh, the way really? I did it. I thought I did not come along well and everything. And so initially I said, oh, I don't want to do anymore. And just afterwards, I went back to Kelly and said, no, no, no. Let's I want to do another one because I mean, what I want to make sure is that I'm better because yeah. I'm very self-demanding as well. I've got high standards. So that's the way I do things, you know, got it wrong. Yeah. I've got a bit of a moment of doubt. Yes, I do like anybody else, but then I move forward. Mm. I want to make sure that I'm going to use all that I've learned, all that I think was wrong and I'm going to improve and I'm going to make it right. Lovely Yeaborhood, just a quick break to sing the praises of our partner in Yay this week, the amazing team at HV Australia. For my fellow business owners, we all know how stressful running a business can be and even more so at tax time. So who has time to deal with the NATA of printer problems and running out of ink? Like what a buzzkill. Thankfully, we don't have to deal with this problem anymore, which has saved not only our business, but our marriage, working together is a fascinating journey, by pairing our HP printer with an instant ink subscription. Honestly, printing has never been so smart. When our ink or toner levels are getting low, a new cartridge is automatically shipped before we even need it so you never run out. Recycling is also included, plus you can save up to 50% on ink and toner this way. It will revolutionize your business. I'll pop the link to more info in the show notes. And by the way, you are welcome. Now back to the show. I think one of the coolest things that surprised me about meeting you and getting to spend time with you was A, that I got access to you at all because you do put so much time into meeting new people and having conversations and you turn up to the events. You don't just send Kelly. Like you're there all the time. You're on the floor. You're walking the halls of the building. I was quite surprised that there is someone as forward thinking who really likes to push the boundaries in a company that is as heritage as L'Oreal. And it's been really amazing to see that you do lead very much from the top down. Like you say that you will, you know, have a really flexible workplace and then you do do that. You take that flexibility for yourself. It's not sort of like everyone can be flexible, but you're there from 5 a.m. till 10 p.m. Or I love that you do lead by example. And I want to get into that because I think one of the cool things about getting to sit down with you is to pick your brain about what you do every day. Because again, most people don't know that either. But first, I just want to touch quickly back on 
not necessarily experiencing self-doubt, but along the way on your journey, there are three parts to this question and they're just because I'm fascinated in it. Have you ever experienced doubt externally on your way up? Because we've had a conversation before about how you turn up to some CEO meetings, you don't have a tie, your tattoos are showing, you turn up in your motorbike gear. So that's one kind of thing. Do people ever underestimate you because you're more relaxed? Number two, do they ever question you being a male in a beauty company and having been your whole career in a beauty company as a male? And the other one was, have you ever been underestimated because you have an accent? I've been in some moments more than underestimated. I felt a little bit discriminated. Mm. And it's important that I felt it as well because uh, by being discriminated or at least feeling that I was discriminated in certain moments, it gives me more ability to understand people which are really discriminated and being women yeah. or any other minority. So I think it's a good exercise sometimes that you are going through that as well because you learn from it. When you experience something, your own skin is much easier to understand and digest when you think about it. Mm. So moments like you said that I go to certain environments where I'm in a t-shirt and my tattoos and the whole environment is uh, blue uh, jackets <laughs> and blue suits. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I feel the discrimination initially, but I really ignore it. I yeah. don't care. And so I'm just there and I say, deal with it. And if you don't <laughs> want to invite me, don't invite me. Yeah. But I think that's afterwards the way I am. It's just not only I look like that, but then I act like that as well, which I'm going to always be very edgy in my thoughts. And I think I change things around because eventually people have to deal with me and they are, end up asking me to go there because I'm the one who's going to be edgy to ask questions and make the comments that nobody else is going to do. And you go out from an environment which is a very standard environment with normal questions, and then there is Rodrigo who's gonna really put it out there. And every time I participate in a luncheon, a meeting of CEOs, I'm gonna be doing that. Mm. I'm gonna be saying, well, what about if we take just a little bit further our discussion, our ideas, and go to where you're really not comfortable about talking about? What about we really talk about things that even I don't know the answer, but I really would like to ask these questions. And so many moments, I do that, that people ultimately, they like that because that's what brings evolution. That's what brings a good discussion to the table. But I think it's not always something which is comfortable and there's some moments where it might be a bit more impactful for me. But ultimately, it's something that, uh, as I said before, in a lot of the moments of risk and courage and everything, I don't get stuck in it. Yeah. Guys, I'm my t-shirt. That's how I dress. You don't <laughs> like me. You don't invite me. Yeah. If you invite me, know that I'm going to come with my t-shirt. If you didn't know before, you've seen my uh, interview in the press and you saw my motorbike. So just guys get used to it. Yeah. And so I think it's really important that we really don't get uh, stuck in those, uh, in those things. But again, it is important that gives me the ability to understand other moments where there's some minorities, whatever mm -hmm. they are, they can feel discriminated and then it helps me. Yeah. Make sure that we are not judging people, we're not discriminating. And we have a natural bias by definition, even if we don't think and yeah. we say we don't. Yeah. So it's important that we get to the process of, am I having a bias? Am I having a bias? And just, am I discriminating? I think mm. it's really important that we do that because ultimately we, we all have one. But um, I overcome that very easily. And, uh, and to be honest, I think that's something, again, which come over the years. And let me just tell you that when I was young, I was extremely introvert. No. Extremely introvert. You Stop. could see me as a teenager in a nightclub. I was the guy that would have a really difficulty going to talk to any girl doing no. anything. I do not believe you. I was the you. most introvert do guy. Do not believe you. <laughs> I mean, believe really? me. Really? Highly, highly introvert until probably my mid-20s. And so uh, wow. 
Wow. I think we can all overcome our own doubts and we can change dramatically in the way that we oh are. My gosh. And uh, I'm not an introvert anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not the word, the first word that comes to mind. But, but it's, it's, really, it's really interesting because, I mean, that's a dramatic yeah. change throughout your life. I think people don't always change like that. But yeah. It's also something that I think in a lot of people, if they identified as an introvert, they would silo themselves and think, I could never be a CEO. They would assume that it was mutually exclusive. They wouldn't necessarily believe they could train themselves out of that. And I think you've said both things in one sentence, that you don't change for anyone, but then you have changed dramatically from yourself. And I think it's that's the beauty of life, is the ability to stick to the things that really matter to you. Many people would walk into a room of blue and want to fit in. They would tone down their difference. They'd put on the suit because they wouldn't want to, you know, cause a fuss. It's easy to, I think we're born with this like want to, not to not stand out, but to fit in. And there's always a, you know, if you're different to try and and suppress those differences rather than lean into them. So I love that you sort of just said, this is my t-shirt. I'm not going to change. But then in the areas where it was helpful for you to change, you were like, actually in this area, it's okay to leave my introversion behind and grow differently. And I think, yeah, we we often think we're born a certain way and we can't change. Um, but then we also change parts that aren't the bits of ourselves that maybe need to be like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. You, do you know what I mean? I think there's, we spend a lot of time changing things that are good about us and not changing things that are unhelpful. Whereas you seem to have done the opposite. No, I've definitely changed dramatically over the years and uh, I'm acknowledging that sometimes because I had to, sometimes because I wanted to. But deep down, there are some values that don't change. Mm. And those are the values that really make you be as you are in certain moments. And so those values, the strength you have, your inner strength, when you are in that moment, in that uh, meeting with everybody with a suit and I'm not there, that's where the values that you have are strong enough to say, no, I'm not going to change. But then other things that you need to improve that you understand that you're not doing well, then you do change. Having said, it's very interesting because, I mean, you've got so, so many trainings over the years and I've done and everybody goes through them. And a lot of these, even today, they go and try and trying to improve your weakness, what you're not good at. Mm. And probably like five or six years ago, going through a lot of these trainings, I was getting to my coach and say, stop telling me what I need to improve. I don't care about improving. I spent all my life trying to do that I reach my limit now. I want to spend the rest of my life in improving what I'm good at, not what I'm not good at. So stop trying to change it because I know I've got some deficiencies and I'm very proud of them. And you can delegate those I ones. just deal with it. Right. I delegate or I deal with it. There's certain things I'm not good at. Yeah. I'm not going to work on that because I can be so much better if I just keep on working on my strengths, what I'm really good. The impact I can create around me is so much stronger that focusing on things that will take me so long. And eventually some of them, I've never going to be good at them because it's just the way it is because mm. we are imperfect. We are, mm. perfection does not exist. And so in the last couple of years, I've been really honestly fighting with the coaches and say, no, <laughs> just don't leave even me go alone. there. You know, all those things there, all the scores are not good, you know, well. I Let's like that. Again, coming back to that whole, like, you don't need to be constantly changing everything about you. There are some things that, like, I think there is always this whole, we need to be good at everything. I mean, when you're an A-type personality that's driven and a bit perfectionist, and you, you said you're self-demanding, you demand a lot of yourself, it's really hard to let go of some areas and just accept, that's not my strength. Like, I've got to work around that. What are some of your weaknesses? What do you think you're not very good at? I'm extremely disorganized at work. <laughs> extremely organized in my personal life. <laughs> Kelly's like, oh yeah, yeah. really? Hmm. 
Hmm. I'm, but it, but it's look, I'm extremely organized in my personal life, but at work, completely disorganized. I'm a mess. That's so but, reverse of what you would expect. Just listen to the rest. But I work better in chaos. Right. During a chaos situation, I will be stronger. During COVID, I was stronger. Under stress, I'm going to be stronger. But because I'm so agile that I can work in an unformatted world. Unformatted. And chaos is the perfect perfection for me. Because I just need to take decisions. Crazy. I'm very quickly thinking. I can do that. If you want me put through a formatted path, if I need to present something which is very much, you know, a beautiful scripted. presentation, scripted and everything, hate it. I'm gonna be no, no, it's worse than I hate it. I'm gonna be bad. I'm not good at it. Wow. And I know, and I acknowledge it. So when I'm having meetings, even with my executive committee, a lot of them need format. A lot of them need organization. So I need to ask them help mm. saying i'm not good at that if you want that you need to provide me with some help otherwise we're all going to be frustrated because we're expecting something for me which i cannot deliver so i'm very knowledgeable of what i cannot do yeah and up front i say i cannot do that i'm not good at that either i have fortunate to have incredible talented people in my team that can compensate that or when it's a personal thing i just have to admit that i just can't do it mm. and therefore i'm not going to be frustrated about it just accepted that I cannot do it. And I do this. I mean, I think if you ask me, really, I, there's going to be a huge amount of these things <laughs> that, uh, I, that I, I can't, I, I'm doing, I'm not good at it. And what's wrong? I think the ability to articulate the areas where you are going to need to reach out for help is incredibly powerful in a role where you don't actually have to acknowledge that you're bad at anything. You can just say whatever you want. You're the CEO. But I do, because I think it's important when, yeah. again, when you go back to the point I said, I'm impacting so many people, it's important yeah. to impact the people in particular, those who are starting their careers to say, it's okay. Mm. You don't have to be good all the time and good at everything. There are certain really? things that, yeah, you <laughs> no have kidding. to be. It's just, so that's not a problem. And, and yeah. I, every time I've got conversations with our management trainee program, it's just about that. I mean, it's okay. You, yeah. you can't do whatever you want. I think that is an incredible strength in your leadership is the the openness as well that you speak with about, you know, your strengths, weaknesses and, and the things that you like to operate in chaos as well is something that's really interesting. Knowing the circumstances in which you thrive is really important and I think a lot of people don't know that. But a lot of things about your role and the way you operate have have surprised me in such a good way, like the fact that you wear sneakers to work, like the fact that you aren't the first person in the office, that you say that there is flexibility in the workplace and that you demonstrate that as well. So when, for example, you know, we talk about the huge legacies that you have for women in science, big programs like that, the paid parental leave changes that have been made, wellness hour that was introduced in COVID, it's hard to imagine how you actually do that day to day. Like, it's easy to sort of say, this is what the CEO achieves and this is his role in the company and these are his values. But like day to day, what do you do? Are you mainly in the office? Are you mainly traveling? Tell us what time, like there'll be a video on this, but for those people who haven't seen it yet, what time do you get in? Are you mainly in meetings? You know, you have obviously a lot of latitude around the culture and the activities that the company does. But when you're bringing to life something like for women in science, what are you doing? Are you in meetings? Are you at the gym? Like what's your day like? <laughs> I'm an early bird, but early bird just because I get up early and every day. But I need a lot of time in the morning uh, for personal reasons where moments I went through anxiety, depression, mornings are really important for me. Mm. And because of that as well, 
after a moment of reflection, I know that sometimes I've got still a bit, a bit of an anxiety, so I need a gym. In fact, the gym is the only thing that for me really op operates to overcome that anxiety. So after the gym, then I'm ready for the day. So if I work up in uh, 6.30, I'll be an hour and a half just getting ready myself mentally, and then I hit the gym. And of course, because I've been one hour and a half doing nothing, just <laughs> reflecting, I'm going to be late already. So I'm going to hit the gym sometimes at eight, sometimes at nine. And obviously my day is already quite late. Mm. But I'm not ashamed of that because, I mean, that's how I operate. And that's how I'm going to operate better. So why do I have to be at nine o'clock in the office when I'm not going to be good at nine o'clock? And I'm going to be extraordinarily better at 10 o'clock. So yes, I'm going to arrive at 10-ish. <laughs> and that's that's where I my scripted <laughs> that's where my mind is ready yeah. to operate well. Yeah. Yes, afterwards I will stay until late most of the times, but regardless, it's it's about the productivity I have, and I'm really good if I do this in the morning. So some days, of course, because uh, I'm uh, in a group which I, I need to be flexible as well. Other people need to have a meeting, etc. At nine o'clock, I will be there if needed. Mm. But uh, that was going to be the exceptions and not uh, the the rules that I make. And I've always been like this. So everybody tells me, oh, it's very easy now because you are a CEO. No, it's not. In fact, I'm going to tell you the anecdote. When I started in the company back in uh, 1993 in Portugal, right in the first months of me starting, I had at the time it was, was the CFO and HRD at the same time. He had both jobs telling me, you know, uh, Rodrigo, I always arrive around nine, but some days I arrive a bit later and I never see your car in the office because already at the time I would arrive around 9.30. And I told him, yeah, yeah, it's probably true. But you know, uh, I can't remember his name, whatever his name was. <laughs> I always leave around 7 or 8 p.m. and I never right. see your car there neither. <gasps> and he was the top guy and everything. And I said that, and I said, well, this is the way I am. If you don't like it, there's only one thing you can say to me. It's just, well, Rodrigo, you have to go. And I'm very fine with that. Wow. But don't tell me, and this is the first year, in fact, in the first months that I joined the company. And I had another moment later on in my life when I was already managing director of the business unit in Venezuela. And my boss was a CEO. I reported to him every morning he was going to look for me at 9, 15, 9, 30. Every morning, my assistant would call me. He's here. She was desperate. He's trying to open the door. Where are you? And everything. And the moment I had to go to him and say, look, buddy. I'm not going to be here at that time. Yeah. I arrive between 9.30 to 9.45. It got worse over the times, but 9.30. <laughs> I'm now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to take my kids to school. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be to the gym afterwards. And it just, it is what it is. Mm. And he says, no, it cannot happen. And I say, I'm not going to change. I will be here at all meetings that are your meetings organized by you at nine o'clock. All the other ones, the other ones, just let me be who I am and just judge me and evaluate me by my results and everything else, but not by that. And I never changed and it's been like this over the years. Mm. So as for the rest of the day, I tend to leave a lot of space for, of course, because I'm not formatted, I cannot have a calendar which is full. It's like unformatted, I love yeah. this, the unformatted CEO. Unformatted. So I leave a lot of space for yeah. casual uh, meetings and catch-ups and everything. So I'll see so many people, we have a day which I'll have three meetings and all of a sudden I've got 10 catch-ups because I leave so much time for that. And the importance is that because most of the knowledge I have does not come in a formal meeting. Most of the knowledge will come from insights which come at any point of time from anybody. I so love this when, about you. When you look about some of the main things that you mentioned, when we decided the wellness hour, it came like that. Yeah. We were in COVID 
and we said people are nine to five or to six is even worse than where they were in the office. They're at home. They're saturated. We need to break it. And it was like this. And it was out of a conversation of a coffee ketchup that I was having with someone saying, my team is saturated. And there was another moment afterwards in exactly the same sense where we, day, we gave one free day for everybody because we felt during lockdown that people were saturated. There mm. was so much stress. So we said, hey guys, out of nothing, from one day to the other, we said, tomorrow nobody works. And it's just because of the knowledge, because of talking to people. Mm. If I'm in a meeting, I'm not understanding what's happening. If I'm walking the floors and I'm talking to people, then you have a little bit of information. I don't react to just one information because one is an incident, two is coincidence, three is a pattern. Oh, if I go there, I just look at, okay, someone is telling me something. Let me see if I can hear more of this. Yeah. Because a lot of times, some people are very loud and not always they represent the company. What we changed dramatically lately is that we listen to the company, not just to the individual. Every time we try to do things which impact the majority of people, if only one person wants something, I'm sorry, but I cannot provide individual mm. things for each one of the employees. Mm. So it's really important because I listen, but then I go and confirm, can you talk about it? I go to HR, I go to another person that I know, and I, can you tell me a bit more, is this really happening? And then when I get really the impression that is really much larger than I expected, then I react. And then I try to react very easily. And because of the agility I operate, I can react on things without having all the knowledge and go back, how you see the circle always close, data and intuition. Mm. Sometimes I don't have all the data, but I have intuition. Sometimes I'll act with a little bit of data and my intuition say, yeah, I think that data is right. Mm. I don't have to confirm it. Mm. I'll take the risk and I'll go very early with that data. Sometimes I need a bit more data. And that balance is really beautiful because that's how you operate in the best scenarios. Always you're trying to balance both of them. And during COVID was really the moment where I was operating with little data and a lot of intuition. And most of the things I was calling out were right ones. And, you know, you just get your trust out of it and you just continue to do it. But it's really interesting that you leave a lot of this space throughout the day. Mm. I do have some meetings and sometimes meetings are important as well. I've got catch-ups with my direct reports every week yeah. so I can be close to the business. I've got a very important strategic meeting with all my executive uh, committee once per month, just dedicated a really very strategic things. Because one of the things I've changed as well dramatically is thinking ahead. I'm not in today. I've got a full, incredible, talented people to talk about today and the operation as they're working today. I don't even look at the sales results on a daily basis. I've got a report. Wow. I never look at them. I've not looked at the report for four years. This is so interesting to me. Because I'm thinking <gasps> about tomorrow. You yeah. know, when you look at my job, I cannot change today. It's happened. The only thing I can do is predict before things are happening for tomorrow and take the organization towards that future. <gasps> so I work in tomorrow. I work in the future. I work in the things that are going to change the company. And how can I impact that? But then I had to let it flow because I literally cannot change one things are already. So why am I trying even to work on today? No, I leave it to everybody to do that part. So a lot of the time I need is to talk about people because I need to understand what is it that needs to be changed in terms of the company. Mm. And for that, I need to talk to people internal and externally, data-driven. We started a data-driven journey two years ago because I was talking to so many people outside of the company and I was fascinating about what other business were doing about data. But in fact, only really the tech companies were really very much driven by data. And I said, why can't we do this? 
and I was influenced by uh, a guy called Ujual, which was an assistant dean in Melbourne Business School on the Masters of Data Analytics, incredible person. And then I was lucky enough to recruit someone to work with us. Christelle was absolutely fantastic in data analytics. And now I've got this beautiful balance in terms of data and intuition. And the more I've got data, the more I can work on my intuition because the data finally does not change and does not replace intuition, does not replace us. Mm. It just gives us more ability to take better decisions. So what I've changed is that, again, can you see the flow? I've got plenty of time to get a lot of insights. These insights take me to data. These insights take me to better decisions or I go to intuition. But for that, I need a lot of free time mm. throughout the day. Mm. I do travel a lot, but I balance that as well. Mm. I travel what I think is really necessary within Australia to New Zealand, of course, and overseas, but I need to be with the team. So I don't over travel because if I am too much time traveling, then I'm not knowing what's happening within the company. Mm. And so this is all influence happening. Art. It is completely influenced by outsource information, by other organizations, mm. by traveling sometimes and getting some learnings. It's a constant, it's a constant daily learning. And that's what makes what I am to do. And very importantly, it goes way beyond professionally. I learned so much for personal situations I've been through, some good, some less good. And there is always a bit of a cross in between both of them. Mm. And I had to go through, I mentioned to you, some moments of depression and anxiety. I had therapy. A lot of things that I learned there are things that I use as a leader as well, because again, that's where the truth is. So I'm really very flexible to get learnings from everywhere, every little situation, even today sitting here with you, I'm learning, I'm learning about what interests you, what is really the things that you want me to talk about. And so I'm learning because that's in the future something that I'm going to use even more. So it's a permanent uh, mm. realization that I can continue to involve myself. I think it's quite extraordinary that you would expect your calendar to be absolutely chock-a-block with no moving space. And the fact that you leave so much open for casual catch-ups and to have your ear to the ground of the people you're actually working with. And also that most of our conversations, we speak 1% about L'Oreal product. It speaks for itself. You are always talking about people and learning and impact. And even that intuition comes into your decision-making, I think a lot of people listening will be quite surprised that there's even latitude for you to do that. But I think you can see that filter through in everything that L'Oreal Australia New Zealand does, and it, it I admire it so much. But I think there's also a beautiful fusion between, as you mentioned, the professional and the personal. And I'd love to finish just on the idea that, you know, CZA is all about finding joy and fulfillment in metrics other than success and productivity in work, but also outside of work. And a lot of people, when I ask them about work-life balance, especially at a, a C-suite level, kind of laugh and say, that's a really artificial concept. Some people think it's really important to have delineation. Some people blur it all together. Sometimes people who are parents have a very different balance to people who aren't parents. What's your take on at the time you leave the office, are you able to switch off? Are you always the CEO? Do you need a clear delineation to have downtime or is it all just kind of a blur? Do you believe in work-life balance? Like what's your take on your personal life? I definitely believe in uh, work-life balance. I don't believe in people that say that they cannot have it. It's your personal decision. It's nothing to do with your work. It's your absolutely personal decision. You just decide when you want to stop. You decide what you have to do. Today, I do both whenever mm. I want at all moments. Mm. If I've got an event of my kids, a concert, which I'm going to have one on Monday at any point of time, at any hour of the day, I'm going to stop and go because that's what work-life balance is, is being with my kids at all points of time. I've got four kids. I've never missed any of them or 
almost never if I was physically present, unless I was traveling. And I avoid traveling when they have those kind of events. I've always been in all the events. Mm. And I've been in events which are coinciding with major meetings. I had moments where I tell my boss, I'm sorry. And that's where the beautiful of the Friedman and to be honest, the good aspect of L'Oreal is that I'm sorry, I've got an event I have to attend, I'll come back. And I've left major executive meetings with my boss, go to event with my kids and come back and continue the meeting because that is what is most important. So I do that on a regular basis. Every time I pick up my kids, I'm going to my kids. There are some Thursdays where I pick my kids you know, at 3.30 and I'm with them in the activities until 8 p.m. <laughs> and I tell people, do you want to have a meeting with me? Fine, but I'm going to be in the car waiting for my kids. If you accept, I need to respect you. If you accept that I'm going to be in the car, I can have a meeting with you over the phone, over Teams, mm. but you need to understand that I'm in the car so that they don't think that I'm disrespecting you. And I do that, no problem. But my priority is going to be on those moments, the kids. So I don't even think about what people say about work-life balance. It's so easy to manage. You just have to be really understanding what you want to do. Mm. So if you decide not to, don't tell me that you cannot have it. It's because you decided that you didn't want to do it. You can take decisions. And when people say about the jobs, you know, we are so fortunate that we are in a country where there's no unemployment. So what are people afraid of? You know, you don't have something. If you are in an organization that doesn't accept it, does not understand it, that you're not in the right organization. So by definition, you should move on. Just call so L'Oreal. <laughs> I mean, if you want, because we are so flexible. I think that's the way you have to be. So I really yeah. don't have a definition what it is. Mm. I'm balanced. Some days I'm going to be more. Some days I'm going to be calling moms, uh, my kids' mom, and say, no, can you please help me out and be on the kids? But sometimes, you know, we had a... Uh, I was keynote speaker last week in a, a diversity uh, conference and mom called me say, I need you to go and take the kids because she's working as casual now and she needed to be work at seven. And yes, of course I said, I am. It complicated my life. Yes, I was really tricky to get there. But you did it. But you know, she needed me to be there. Mm. So I just had not even a thought, yes. I'm going to be, tomorrow is going to be the same thing. She just asked me, no, I need you to uh, take care of the kids, even if it is her day to do so. And, you know, that's why I think we need to be aware of it. It's just always possible. We just have to be flexible and mm. agile. And I just let me end up with the point about, you know, as male, if we really want to enable women to have full equality, we need to take our responsibilities. And our responsibility as a parent never ends. Mm. And I'm very, very vocal with the guys in the company and any other one to say, guys, you take care of your kids. Mm. Your kids need you as much as they need their moms. You need to be there at all times with them. And if you're not helping them, moms will never be able to develop their career. If you don't take your parental leave, you don't take your responsibilities. So you need to help them. And honestly, I'm pushing so much of our executive and the other men in the company and beyond that to say just be with your kids mm. understand and so many of them come to come give me feedback and saying i follow what you said and now i can see uh, how important it is i'm i can even some of them even tell me how they enjoy the time they spend with their kids some of the people tell me how be being in the gym every morning led them to be also going to the gym and say if the ceo can do it why can i not do it mm. so i think we've got a lot of concepts but overall we have the power of deciding our lives. Mm. So we should stopping 
stop talking about this balance and creating it. You just do whatever you want to do. Mm. I'm sure there's a way to do it. Maybe I'm a bit of a dream in that part because we really <laughs> have an incredible culture yeah. of flexibility in the company. But I think that is a value which is your life value. Mm. And that's why I tell you, yes, the company is incredible, flexible for this at all levels. But I also tell you, I have never put the option on the company. It's not your option to decide my life. Mm. I decide my life. I am loving it because you allow me to do so. But the day you don't, we'll have to separate because I'm not giving up on my family because of anybody telling me that I have to do something different. Mm. I think we can do both, but I know exactly what my priority is. So it's never been a question. And again, I'm not saying this as a CEO today. Everybody says it's very easy as a CEO. I'm saying about doing this, this has been over 30 long. years. Yeah. Even when I was not CEO, I had no power. Mm. I still had my own power. I decide about my life. Mm. And that's where people have to be. And that, of course, links to the courage that you have in certain moments and just saying, yeah. So for me, it's an easy answer and it's just about your values that you have in life. I also think a lot of people's unhappiness or lack of contentment in their life is linked to not having a clarity of their priorities. You can't make decisions if you don't know what your priorities actually are to begin with. So getting really clear on what matters to you and then filtering your, all your decisions through that gate of is this in line with my priorities or not, it actually is much more simple than we allow it to be because there's just so much noise about what you should do and what they think of what you're doing. And I, I love that clarity that you have about what's important to you. But just two quick finishing questions that are tying back that idea of joy, which you find so important in what you do. And I think makes, again, is quite surprising in the role of a CEO. What is your play? Because I think we take a life very seriously. We do not make enough room for fulfillment and happiness in what we do. It's for a lot of people, not even part of the equation of what their life is and how they lead it. What is your joy? I kind of think like what brings your childlike sense of wonder out? It's got nothing to do with learning, nothing to do with productivity. It's just for fun. Well, I think you've got joy in two ways. I've got my personal joy, which comes with my motorbike. My motorbike. That's right. Yeah, right. Riding my motorbike. And with and Leonardo. It, com it comes because it is a moment there is nothing else but me and my motorbike. With the dangers of it, with the overspeeding of it and everything, but it is my joy. There's nothing else. And it's a beautiful moment because it's a moment that, you know, I'm super focused, by the way, but it's just my moment. And my motorbike is me and the motorbike. There's nobody else in my motor because I don't ride with anybody else, except sometimes with my son because we have this connection and that's very important. And that's where I link with the other moments of joy. Sometimes you don't leave joy by yourself. You leave joy on other people's joy. Mm -hmm. So when I'm with my kids and I'm providing them to have their own joy, I'm having mine just by their pleasure and happiness. I don't have to have mine. So I go to a lot of things which I go sometimes with my older son, but sometimes with my younger ones. I'm bored to death personally but the but fact the that they enjoy <laughs> it it brings joy to me so yes i think sometimes i try to have things which bring me joy and mm. there's a lot of moments where I've, i can do that but i have so much joy about my own kids and just being with them you know in particular by being partly single dad sometimes you know every moment <laughs> that i can be with them is a joy were so you when, dropping that in just yeah, to be like hey just, yeah, single, no, just everyone. because it's important no? and it's <laughs> you know sometimes where you're alone you have a lot of time to think about things you yeah. know so when i tell you again that uh, mom tells me i hey, come and pick up the kids come and do this i don't even think it's just an extra moment for me to be with my kids mm. you know 
regardless of being single or not, you're not spending enough time with your kids, never in your life. Mm. So if I can dedicate any extra moment to be with them, it's incredible. And they want it to be like that as well. So they're just having so much pleasure when you with them. So yeah, that is fundamental that you really think. So joy can have so many different ways. And so absolutely, you just have to find where your own one. I think that's very personal as well. Mm. And final question, do you have a favorite quote or saying or something that brings you joy or keeps you focused on, on what matters to you? No, I, I think I've got a really this uh, ambition of happiness. You know, for me, it is something that I need to have every day. And it's a, it's a link in between happiness and passion. And uh, I don't know, it's very emotional. Mm. And I think that's something that I've learned over the years. And it's interesting because we started the conversation about our being introvert or we didn't start, we went through that. And I've changed so much throughout the years. I was introvert, I'm extreme extrovert. I was zero emotional a few years back because I was very cold. I did not mention to you, but I did lose my parents both five months apart of terminal cancer. And one of the ways, and I was pretty young on my 20s, one of the ways to do that was protect myself. So I become really very cold and, you know, unemotional, completely had this protection going on. And throughout the years, in particular with the birth of my daughter, at a certain moment, it completely changed my life. It melted the way I am. So I want to leave my emotions. So what I want as more than a coat is just enjoy life. It's such a beautiful thing and so whatever i do it's just making sure that there's this pleasure of moments with the people i like more than anything else you know and people i like can be friends can be certainly family can be some people in the office as well because you've spent so much time that that you link with some people so specially mm. and you know there are these friends which cannot be friends because they're supposed to be your colleagues but they actually your friends and all those moments are really the moments i really enjoy so just happiness would be the most important thing for me more than a quote Oh, what a beautiful way to end. And very on brand. Well done. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I know and appreciate how valuable it is and how little there is of it outside of doing such amazing things with L'Oreal. So Thank obrigado. You for, I Thank really you for uh, inviting. It. it was a pleasure to be here and I'm sure we could be sharing more and more things for a few hours. Yeah, <laughs> we could have gone on for hours. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you guys found this one as fascinating as I did. I absolutely love diving into the day-to-day -day of different pathways, but especially into the day-to-day day of different brains. Please do head over to our socials to watch the day in the life video. And if you enjoyed listening along, share away to your heart's content to help spread the yay as far and wide as possible. By now we'll be on our next adventure, but have recorded in advance. So you'll still be getting the yay in your ears. Next up is another dose of yays of our lives with, of course, the wonderful Ange Foot, who is recording me right now. <laughs> and don't forget to keep submitting your this yay or that yay slash would you rather questions for our chaotic enjoyment. In the meantime, I hope you're having an amazing week and are seizing your yay.